This is In the Studio with Michael Card. Welcome to our program this week. I'm Wayne Shepherd, sitting here with Michael Card in Franklin, Tennessee. We are going to open the scriptures again today, Michael, but we also have a couple of very special guests, including an artist, someone you've never met before, but who's going to join us by telephone. Today. And Makoto Fujimura, who's a wonderful modern artist from New York City and, and a, a, a dear brother, wonderful believer, very articulate. You know, artists aren't supposed to be able to talk <laughs> that well, but he's just a wonderfully articulate brother. We look forward to talking to Mako today. Now, he wrote the foreword to your new book, Scribbling in the Sand. He did. Uh, I had been so impressed by some essays that he had written in another book I read on art that I called him and asked him to do. He was very gracious to do that. We're looking forward to talking to him about creativity today, and we will talk to our friend Scott Rowley about community. Uh, Scott always has very valuable things to say because he's he's living in community every day. And he is, and uh, again, there's another part of the community. This, this, this program is so based on relationships, and Scott really is my best friend. Just turned 50, so we may we may get some observations <laughs> well, I on can, that. Well, I can sympathize with him because I did too. We're just <laughs> Maybe about the, the same Maybe the two of you age. can yeah. talk about being 50 together. That's we'll, uh, we'll see what happens when we talk to Scott later today. But uh, an important part part of our program is our time in the Word each week, yes. and uh, today we want to talk about, uh, as Kenny Rogers would have said one time, what condition our condition is mm. in, because the condition of man is pretty serious. And that's a, that's a great way to, to, to enter into it, because what we're going to look at is really the defining moment of mankind. It's, it's interesting uh, that in, in this one story, uh, so much of what uh, we are and what we struggle with and what affects us in uh, just this one chapter in Genesis that we're going to look, and then we're going to move on into some other passages. In the but New it affects Testament. us in every way, every day, in yeah. ways that we don't even realize, do yeah, we? Yeah, it would seem such a simple story, this simple story of the fall, but it, it really is. It's the defining moment. Yeah, and when you say story, we think, okay, that happened to someone else, but mm-hmm. the reality is it's happening to you and it's happening to me. It, it's a story that happened first to Adam and Eve, but then it's it's sort of a story that's continued uh, I guess in part through us, but what we're going to see is how Christ has undone that story and, and made it new. You mentioned Genesis 3. That's uh, where we invite our listeners to turn with us in the Scriptures. Mm. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? It's an awesome story. Mm. Uh, the, the, their first inclination uh, upon having their eyes open. Satan always promises so much, and then when we, when we get what we think was promised, uh, our lives uh, fall apart. And to end it with that haunting question, where are you, uh, that reveals the heart of God who's, who's looking for us and searching for us and oh, wants us. That is so true. I mean, he's still saying that to every one of us every huh. day. Wayne. Even in the midst of the sin. Oh, Wayne, where are you? That's, that's the most important point, I think, of this story is that God goes looking for them after hmm. the fall. Yeah, he didn't and turn his back on them. Not at all. In fact, he's going to make things right, and that sort of heart heartbreaking, uh, I think, question, where are you? Uh, he knows where they are, right? He's God. <laughs> that question is an invitation to come and walk with God in spite of the fall. We're going to find out later on that uh, in chapter, in verse 21 that he's going to kill animals to make garments to cover up their nakedness. And, and we know as Christians that he is eventually going to sacrifice his own son to cover us up and to wash our sins away. So, uh, so much in in this one story, but we don't want to focus on the details so much uh, right now as, as just to see in a broad sense, uh, the fall happens, uh, the man and the woman disobey, that wonderful uh, moment that Larry Crabb's book, The Silence of Adam, you know, mm-hmm. here Adam is standing there 
and uh, the woman is being tempted and dialoguing with the serpent. And where, you know, where is Adam in this whole process? He he should have stepped in and 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 uh, said something or done something, but unfortunately for us all, uh, he did not. Well, it's true that Adam was indeed silent there, and that, uh, that's been the pattern for all of us since. But, yeah. And yet, when you get to the book of Romans, Paul is certainly not silent about this issue. No, Wayne, he's, uh, he's not silent at all. In fact, in Romans 5, uh, in the midst of a discussion about who Jesus is and what he means, he brings Adam into the discussion. Uh, you want to read that 512 passage? Sure. Uh, this is Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Verse 15, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Going on in verse 18, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Mm. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace must reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who is the second Adam. The second Adam, and the one, oh, what a, what an awesome uh, commentary on Genesis three, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that we have this from Paul. And uh, as you were reading uh, the first uh, three or four verses, this idea that death came to all men, death reigned, and that really is. Um, that's the frame that sort of goes around the experience of the world until the time of Christ. That death was reigns. that was our sentence. That was our condemnation. Yeah. Death, and and because of the righteousness of one man now. Grace might reign through righteousness, not our righteousness, uh, the righteousness of Christ. So we have the one man who through one sin uh, plunged us all into death and sin. And then we have the good news of the gospel, and that's all it is. It's just Mm -hmm. the gospel, that through the righteousness and the, the obedience of one man, one perfect man, all that had been done through Adam and Eve has been undone, and we're new creatures. The gospel of grace. We deserved death, but God extends his grace to us. Well, Paul has more to say about this later on in, I know you're turning there now too, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. Yeah, let's look at, uh, starting in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, interesting that Paul would confess that, uh, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and the old is this old life of Adam uh, through whom death reigned. The old is gone, the new has come, so now grace is reigning through righteousness. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And again, Wayne, that's the same God who walked in the garden and said, where are you? And he says, Wayne, where are you? Mike, where are you? Because his deepest desire is to reconcile you and me so that grace, again, so that grace can reign through righteousness. As incomprehensible as that is to us. It's, it's a mystery, and we'll never, we can theologize about it, and we can <laughs> preach about it, and we, we can act like we understand it. Yeah. But the simple fact that God is looking for me is, is amazing. You know, that takes us from a point of hopelessness to a point of hope. Now, that, that is a huge transition. And hope is everything. Yeah. And, and, and the process of him looking for you and me is what makes us new creatures. Mm. It's amazing. Uh, not counting men's sins against them. 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not because we're righteous, but because God grants us that through grace. It is, uh, it is amazing grace. Well, Michael, that is a rich time in God's Word here today. We enjoy that each week here mm-hmm. in the program. But you have a song that you've written that we'll turn to next that goes hand-in-hand hand with this passage. Mm-hmm. You must have been looking at these scriptures when you wrote the song. Yeah, and, and as well as a passage in uh, Karl Barth, Karl Barth says that uh, what is most important and what God gives us is not the ability to begin, but the ability to begin again. Mm. And that the life of grace, this idea of grace reigning through righteousness, is a life of of a series of new beginnings. Of uh, you know, it's it's not this once and for all. I'm a new creature, and you know, it's a perfect life and a picnic on a green lawn from that point on. Mm-hmm. You know, the I think the real test of grace is that, uh, at least my my. Uh, testimony is, uh, I, I, uh, I fall again and yeah. again and again. And, His and the, mercies are new every morning. That's, that's exactly it. I mean, this gracious God who, who sought us out in the garden in, in the midst of our sin gives us the grace to continually get up and start again, get up and start again. So what's most important is not uh, to begin but to begin again. That's the real test of grace. And we see that uh, certainly in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus and his disciples. They're always starting over again. I think Acts is a, is a book about new beginnings. Uh, you know, they go down a wrong way, and then we begin again, and we get back on the track. And Christ is always there. God is always there. I know that's your experience. It's my experience. I think probably is experience of everyone, every follower of Christ is listening today, that you realize that there's nothing that we can do apart from trusting Christ and counting on his faithfulness to us and his grace and his mercy, and the list goes on. And I think it's an important thing for us to talk about because there are uh, people that teach that it's not this process of beginning again, that it's a once and for all deal, that uh, if you mess up once, yeah. you're lost. And uh, So they would feel that it's possible for us to, what, be perfect? I, you know, obviously there are people that teach that. We had an email question that came in where someone had had been told that they were supposed to live a, a, a sinless life after their conversion. Mm-hmm. But I think what people need to hear is that this righteousness does come through Christ. It is a gift of God, and that when we do fall— and realize all over again our nakedness before God and our neediness for God. He is there to help us to begin again and to grant all over again this idea of being new creatures. We are new creatures, but that newness, like you said, it comes every morning. Well, that is really important to hear today. Thank you, Michael. Now let's turn to this song called In the Beginning. Michael is at the piano here in the studio. child begin again 
moment is filled with His power that we might start anew. To break us away from the past and the future, He does what He must do. And so the Alpha brings to us this moment to commence. To live in the freedom of total forgiveness with reckless confidence. child begin again you're free to start again Michael Card at the piano here in the studio the song is called In the Beginning and Michael thank you for the extra effort to do these songs for us on the radio from the studio here Oh it's it's wonderful I think it it adds a different uh, sort of character to the program other than just playing uh, records I think We are joined now by a very special guest uh, you have never met this guest though This is this is a, a strange thing for me because uh Makoto and I have been uh riding back and forth uh for some time actually I contacted him first a couple of years ago and he sent me some uh, material and and wrote a blurb or two for me and then he's just written the preface uh, for a book that I've done on creativity so it's scribbling it, in the sand but we've never even spoken it's all been email <laughs> and mail so it's wonderful uh, to hear his voice and it's wonderful to I mean not not meet him completely but meet him a little bit more uh, Makoto Fujimura nice to be here Michael thank you for taking the time to join us no problem it's my pleasure Makoto, we love to... Is it okay to call you Mako? Mako is fine. Mako is what people call you, your friends mm-hmm. call you. Well, we feel a kinship with you, even over mm-hmm. the uh, the line here today. But um, I want our listeners to understand what it is that you do. Now, you are a follower of Jesus Christ, um, mm-hmm. and, and you your faith impacts your art. And I'd like for our listeners to know all about that. Yes, I am an artist. I uh, live and work in New York City. Um, I was trained, though, in a very traditional medieval, really, technique of art in Japan. And uh, um, I'm Japanese-American. I, I have that heritage to draw upon. And, and so um, I actually became a Christian uh, about 13 years ago in Japan while I was studying uh, art there. May I say, uh, what an unlikely place to become a Christian. Yeah, people tease me about that. (laughs) Why did you have to go to Japan? Um, I spent a lot of time in in the U.S., of course. I was born here and uh, spent middle school and high school years here and college. But uh, my parents are Japanese, and uh, it's really my first language and my heritage. So um, when I came to Christ, of course, there was this, nagging question uh, attached to it, uh, what to do with my art. And uh, fortunately, I had good friends and mentors um, who helped me to see that uh, Jesus was calling me back into the arts community. And I, I, I did have a calling as an artist as well. Now, your art, uh, and again, I've never seen it live. I've only seen it in brochures. Mm. But your art uh, has woven into it uh, sometimes some fairly uh, complex ideas of incarnation and yes. uh, sometimes, uh, I believe, a few Old Testament themes in terms of the Ark of the Covenant and that sort of thing. Absolutely. E- explain a little more about what uh, just what your art is like. Well, um, for a general uh, audience out there, there there are different languages of art that you can draw upon. There are like languages you have to learn them. Um, and in contemporary art, there's this rich history starting from the 18th and 19th century that um, draws upon a certain approach to painting and and crafting a work of art. Um, and then, of course, I'm coming from even even a broader perspective of having studied in Japan and uh, studying Eastern uh, tradition and applying that to the present. So what I do is I kind of traverse different worlds, uh, and I try to speak the language uh, that people do understand. 
in art. And um, so uh, many of my works literally quote uh, um, other artists, um, uh, both contemporary artists, 21st century to 20th century, um, to uh, 16th century Japanese artists. Mako, we want to explore further this connection between your faith and, and mm. what you do uh, so creatively with your art. But before we do that, Michael, I'd like to suggest to our listeners that if you'd like to see what this looks like, and if you have access to the web right now, uh, Mako has a website, mm-hmm. and I understand, I'm, I'm anxious to look at it after our program is over today, Mako, <laughs> but I understand it's yourname.com, is that right? Yes, uh, that's what, right. Spell, it's, spell it's, your name for yeah, us. So. It's uh, Makoto Fujimura, so that's M A K O T O F. U-J-I-M-U-R-A, uh, no space there. And that's uh, MakotoFujimura.com. Right, dot com. Let me right. give it one more time. M-A-K-O-T-O, M-A-K-O-T-O. Mm-hmm. The last name is F-U-J-I-M-U-R-A.com. Right. Right. And you'll be able to look at this wonderful art even as we mm-hmm. talk with our guests today. Mm-hmm. Mako, can you talk to us a little bit about the ministry that you've started there in New York? Yes. Um, when I felt called back into the arts community. Um, I had fairly established career already as an artist and when I became a Christian, and it became obvious to me that um, there was this link and connection between who I was in Christ and uh, what I was expressing. It came out very naturally, and people got very curious about it. Um, they had known me before, uh, having uh, been a non-Christian uh, before, and now I had this new perspective and new passion. And so uh, it just, in, this is in Japan, where uh, it's a very difficult place to minister. But uh, art openings became ministry opportunities, and mm-hmm. I, I uh, became very cognizant of the fact that I, I had an uh, open door here to uh, speak to people. And that's when I began to think that, well, I must not be alone in this. There must mm-hmm. be others with the same passion for creativity uh, and, and, and the arts and uh, trying to integrate as much as I can. Uh, but then I began to see that um, I needed accountability and I needed a community around me to help me to uh, reach out. So uh international arts movement uh, began in 1992 connect with other um, artists and creative people with similar passion for Christ. Um, But it also has a dual mission, I think, of trying to educate uh, fellow believers uh, in understanding the power of creativity and the necessity of uh, creativity uh, within the church context. That is uh, worth repeating, the power and the necessity of creativity in the church. Mm -hmm. Michael, this is why we do this segment on this program. That's right. I mean, you're, that, you're getting me right where I live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and interesting to me that the same burden uh, was placed on you to reach out to the church community because that, that's the, that is the dual problem. Mm-hmm. We have creative people who have gifts, who, who, who labor in all kinds of confusion. They think they are their gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they don't understand how this gift perhaps is a reflection of of uh, God's presence. I mean, all sorts of confusion. But then uh, just as bad as a community, and the church community has historically not known what to do with creative people. They've either glorified them so much that they're out of community or they've they've pushed them out. So yeah. um, I'm so thankful that your ministry is focused the way it is. Mm. Maka, one other fact about your ministry that I think our listeners would find interesting is yeah. where you are. Now, you mentioned yeah. you're in New York City. You are literally in the heart of New York City, aren't and what, you? What everybody needs to know is that uh, Mako has his own gallery in New York City. So if I go to New York City, I can go into the gallery? That's right. If you're dressed correctly, and, uh, <laughs> <Right>. and <laughs> which I'm not today, well, where where are you located exactly? I mean, in, in yeah, neighborhood I am, terms. I am located downtown uh, in Tribeca, um, now known as Ground Zero. Wow. I, uh, I live three blocks away from the towers, and uh, um, my family and I were there when when it all happened. Mm. And a lot of what I do now has been a result of trying to minister to local artists here. Uh, the, ga- the gallery that uh, we did open um, just temporarily here in my studio space 
is uh, about seven minutes from uh, Ground Zero, mm-hmm. and it, it, it is dedicated to local artists. We have exhibits um, to encourage uh, expression at this time. As mm-hmm. you can imagine, it's a hard time for yes. any artist to be working, um, both financially and, and also the language of art has changed uh, because of September 11th, and uh, we wanted to be part of cultivating uh, thinking about it. That is remarkable, not only as an artist, but it's remarkable as a follower of Christ, that you're there being light in that community. That I think that's really fascinating. And it's interesting to me that you you can't understand your art any other way but being subservient to Christ. And so when something like 9-11 happens, uh, you know, the question isn't, what what do I do now? The there question, exactly. yeah. So, uh, I, again, I, I you're, you're such an encouragement to us. Well, Mako, we're going to have to ask you to come back and join us in a future program because there's so much more to talk about here. But I'm going to always remember your phrase about the power and the necessity of creativity. That That really speaks volumes to us today. Mm. Thank you for having me. And thanks to you, Michael. We'll talk again here in just a moment. You know, another thing that speaks volumes to us is the response we're receiving from our listeners. Here's one from Oklahoma. Thank you so much to you and to Moody for the great program. I've been an admirer of your music and teaching for several years, and I'm glad to hear you back on the radio. Another one, thanks so much for your program. There was just some that stuck with me, and I've written bits down and have been thinking about what was said all evening. And then Susan writes, Thank you for allowing God to use the gift of creativity He's given you to bless the body of Christ. I pray that God will continue to use this program mightily in the lives of those who listen, as He did in mine tonight. Uh, Thank you, Susan. We hope you'll remember to pray for Michael and our whole staff. We're very conscious of our need for God's Spirit to carry us along as we work on this broadcast. So why not take a minute and pass along your comments to us? Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And if you do have a question about the Bible or living the Christian life, send that to us and we'll try to get an answer on a future broadcast. Again, the address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. When you do get in touch with us, make sure you include the call letters of the station you're listening to. And for more information about Michael's music ministry, use the website www.michaelcard.com. Again, that's michaelcard.com. Well, when we come back, Michael answers an email question, and we'll hear from Scott Rowley on pointing people to hope in hopeless situations. Now, all of this and much more in the studio with Michael Card after this break on the Moody Broadcasting Network. In the studio with Michael Card, I'm Wayne Shepherd. We enjoy it when listeners send us your Bible questions. And Michael, as you'll recall, last week we had a question from Shane about the renaming of Simon by Jesus. Uh, there's a second part to Shane's question we didn't get to last week. He asked, is there any connection to the renaming of Jacob in the book of Genesis? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I think the connection is that uh, when people are renamed in Scripture, it's often a prophetic thing. There's a prophetic character. There's, when There's meaning to it. Yeah, that's going to unfold as their life uh, goes on. And that's certainly true with Simon. When Jesus says, you're Peter, I mean, later on that's affirmed with this whole uh, idea of I'm going to build my church on you. Mm-hmm. You're the foundational disciple, that sort of thing. Same thing's true here in Genesis. I believe same thing is true with Jacob. In uh, Genesis 32, that's where this happens. And we all know this story of uh, of him wrestling uh, with uh, this angel. I mean, a lot of us believe that this is a what's called a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, who, interestingly enough, keeps his name yeah. secret. What is your name? And doesn't won't give tell it. him. Yeah. As, even as he, uh, the angel of the Lord, the same person, won't, won't tell his name to uh, Samson's uh, dad, Manoah, when he tells him that Samson's going to be born, he keeps his name a secret. So I, I think there's a good case for that, but that's not, that's not really the point. The point is um, this whole idea of Jacob, who has, who has been the deceiver, who is really the bad guy, uh, who has tricked Esau, he's tricked everybody, and and himself has been tricked in the process. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this moment happens there on uh, at the fort of the Jabbok where he wrestles uh, with a man 
who is God, who we believe is God, and uh, it all it all turns around for him, and he's given this prophetic name. Let's read it. Um, then the man, or this this angel of the Lord, said to him, "Let me go, for it's daybreak." Very characteristic of Jacob. He's grabbing onto him. He won't <laughs> let him go. Then Jacob replied, "I will not let you go unless you bless me." The man asked him, "What is your name?" Jacob. He answered. Then the man said to him, "Your name will no longer be Jacob, but." Israel. And here comes this this etymology, this explanation of what his name means. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And this is true of Jacob. This is a prophetic uh, renaming of Jacob because not only will the rest of his life be a struggle with God, but the life of his people who will corporately become known as Israel, uh, the descendants of his 12 sons, they will struggle with God in the same way that Jacob did. Interesting indeed. Shane, thank you for your two-part question here in the studio with Michael Card. Now, Michael, in just a moment, we're going to talk to our friend Scott Rowley. Scott always brings good things to the program. But before we do that, we're going to ask you to sing a song for us. Steve Mikesell has the bass here in the studio to play and Paul Eckberg on percussion. Here's Michael Card. Ready? One, two, one. in the storm and you can find it if you will believe it's a soul anchor hold on to the hope it is a soul anchor and hold on to your courage before we call he answers us with hope And certain of the things we do not see For we are told by one who cannot lie And in this hope is our security It's a soul anchor Hold on to the hope it is a soul anchor And hold on to your courage us with hope. Hold fast, draw near. Hold fast, draw near. Soul Anchor, Michael Card in the studio today. A lot of energy and a lot of hope in that song, Michael. Yeah, the anchor of the soul is our hope in Christ. That's the the book of Hebrews. Hmm. Well, we have questions about what it means to live in community that we explore each week here on in the studio. And we've had uh, Scott Rowley on once before in mm-hmm. our new program, and Scott comes back today to help answer some of these questions we have. Yeah, Scott has been working on a book for some time that's going to be an absolutely incredible book called from Hard Bargain to Mount Hope. And if anybody can talk about what hope means in the context of community, it's our uh, it's our brother, my best friend, Scott Rowley. Hello, hey, Mike. Hey, buddy. It's good to be back. Welcome hey, back. Welcome back. Now, we've told your story here briefly mm-hmm. on the program before, but just so people understand, I mean, you, you uh, moved from, was it Meadow Green to, uh, to Hard Bargain? That's exactly right. And Meadow Green is sort of a typical suburbia, uh, suburban neighborhood. And Hard Bargain is the last black really black-owned, African-American-owned subdivision or community in Williamson County, the county where Mike and I live. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a wonderful uh, small community, 107 homes, 
And uh, in fact, we met Bob Smith last week, who mm-hmm. was a resident there. We, we moved in four years ago and have really enjoyed uh, the community there. And from hard bargain, which was a term used because of the, the land deal purchasing property in this subdivision was hard. It was a hard deal. And, and then that, that began just after the Civil War, right? Eight, I mean, that's how old it correct. is. Correct. 1880. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, the first real home. The Macklemore home was built uh, right right around 1880. And uh, Mount Hope is the street actually that Bob Smith lives on. Mm-hmm. And it's named for a cemetery that's there. and, and uh, Where Bill Lane is buried. Bill Lane is buried. Yeah. And uh, in fact, uh, segregation, Crow, uh, Jim Crow law which kept uh, the uh, the cemetery segregated, black and white. Bill, uh, Bill is buried right next to the black cemetery. I did not know that yeah. story. Yeah. His heart, his heart for community, yeah. and uh, the hope that does come from our coming together. That really is symbolic really, for him to rest there. Yeah, yeah. it's Scott a demonstration. Can, Scott can walk to Bill's grave. I yeah, mean, it's, many know, mornings. My yeah. my my morning walk really does uh, always include a, a stroll by where Bill is. Mm-hmm. Or where Bill isn't. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, the the book of Hebrews is written to a group of people who are suffering persecution. This is all some stuff Bill taught us. Mm-hmm. And he knew that above all, uh, they needed hope. My understanding of 9-11 in New York City was that when those towers came down, there were only two groups of people, those who had hope mm-hmm. and those who didn't have mm-hmm. hope. Now, take that and focus that on hard bargain and uh, and what you understand about community. I think the first thing that comes to mind is in the Godhead, we see community d- demonstrated so beautifully as the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And we really do have this amazing demonstration and picture that our God is one in essence, but three in persons. And so that ignites in us this hope mm. that we can relate with people. And what Hebrews helps us understand is that there's a racial problem happening. There's Gentile and Jew. In fact, most all the arguments, as Mike's been teaching Acts and Linda comes home from hearing his teaching, is most arguments in Scripture are really racially oriented. Mm -hmm. The Jew, the Gentile, it's a constant clash of culture, race, um, misunderstanding, all sorts of things. So when we think about hope and community, it really begins with the Godhead that stirs us and inspires us. You know, Jesus relocates. He comes Mm -hmm. to heaven from earth. And that shows us a pattern for us to move into and be a part of other people's lives. People are very different from us. All of my neighbors are African-Americans. We have extremely different backgrounds coming from kind of a North, northern Virginian, white, um, safe, you know, silver spoon existence with most of my brothers and sisters now in hard bargain coming from very difficult uh, and very uh, impoverished backgrounds. Mm-hmm. The hope that's there is the fact that Jesus is what knits us together. No social program will ever bring us together. Uh, no political program will ever bring us together. But in the gospel, we find unity. Scott, let me ask you, what requires your presence there? I mean, you intentionally move to a geographic place to identify with people. What required that? Most people in, in, that are impoverished are in need. And again, the scriptures, we're not talking race at that level other than just the poor. Most that have come through uh, impoverished or um, the, 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 um, in, when, when they lack power, it's because the dominant culture makes promises and then leaves. It's mm-hmm. sort of as though we get promises all the time and yet no one fulfills them. Yeah, now, promises are easy, aren't they? They really are. Yeah. And it's easy to say things. But, and again, one, we've only been there four years. I mean, it's not like this, this thing that we did so early on. Um, however, we were in the neighborhood working for 15 years prior to that. and really knew this is where we wanted to live. But every time I'd go home, I really felt sad because I'd get in my car after tutoring programs or, or food programs or housing programs, and I'd head home and I went back to Metagreen, and many of my neighbors were still trying to forage for, you know, f- for firewood that night to burn in their, in their you know, wood burner. Mm. And uh, didn't have, I mean, there were men who were burning shingles in their fireplace because they couldn't have heat. Mm. And I head back to a very, you know, easy life. So yeah. I think part of it was, how do you really say I love you and then leave? Yeah. Well, Mike, there, we've talked about this before. There's the incarnational element to it. I mean, that that is a part of community, too. Well, it has to be lived out or it's not real. I mean, it, and we learn that from Jesus, too. One of the most intentional things Jesus did was create community, right? The three, the 12, the 70. And that's what God's calling us to do. And, and apart from that, I mean, I've never thought of it quite this way until we had this discussion, but uh, the, the substance of of community really is hope. I mean, why, why else? What drives us together and what keeps us together but hope? 
I mean, I mean, I, I mean, your experience in Harburg. I mean, what, it's hope that brought you there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's the fact that the gospel gives us hope that we have an eternity, and that is a plural. I mean, it's it's all the nations, every tribe, tongue, people group together. There's a picture of of what our hope is. The hope of, of glory, Christ in us. Mm. So it's really an individual experience in Him for the hope of my own eternity. But it's it's just absolutely connected. A- anything we do is in community, in connection. It's in the body. So it, the, this is, to me, the, the easiest and most clear, um, uh, I guess, demonstration of hope, uh, the fact that we would live where we live. I mean, it does move from hard bargain to Mount Hope. It moves mm. from despair to to true hope. It, it lifts it. Yeah, and it, it's interesting to think of it in, ter- in hope in terms of diversity, because the diversity could drive you apart, but the hope is what brings the diversity together, and there's, I would assume, Absolutely. a great appreciation for how you, the differences. And- you hit it right on the head. Our culture has a tendency to say separate but equal. We just do it by nature, and I and think by it's choice. sinful. Yeah. And it's instead of celebrating our diversity, yeah. we allow the diversity to really rule us. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Let's illustrate with stories. I mean, your life is a story about what you're doing now, Scott. I'd love to hear some of the encounters, some of the stories, some of the difference that you think is being made by you and others there in that community. Well, the everyday experience of living with with friends now and neighbors who are being you know, persecuted and I think taken advantage of by the dominant culture, which I never would have seen before. You understand that because now you live there and you see it. Right. I see insurance salesmen coming through town, through my streets, trying to sell bogus policies to older uh, citizens uh, who don't have a clue uh, as to what that actually is happening. And Scott will run them out of the neighborhood. (laughs) Yeah. I I just don't tolerate that stuff. Uh, uh, You know, if, if, you know, they sell drugs on my street and when, when an out of, out of, County plate. We're in Williamson County, but if a Davidson County plate on a Lexus or a, a Mercedes drives by and stops down at the end of the street, I know why they're there. Hmm. Um, I used to, I used to, you know, any any time someone who's white is in our neighborhood, they want something. That, that's not something you just kind of naturally know. They mm-hmm. know white people drive into our neighborhood because it's kind of off the beaten path, and it's it's not the kind of place you drive by and say, look at that house, look at that house, look mm-hmm. at that house. And you never would have understood that never short been, of living there. Correct. It, it it just really brings to mind for me now um, just how many how many times we we know what we know what the Samarias of our call to you know from Jerusalem uh, to the ends of the earth, including the Samaria, the the, the undesirable parts of life. And again, hard bargain is now the most desirable place in the world for me because mm. it is really where Jesus um, has put me and it's my best friends and it's the people I'll live the rest of my life with. Mm. But at one level, it was a it was a Samaria. It was an undesirable place. And I would dare say most people know right where it is because they avoid it. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott, this is so interesting because you undoubtedly felt God's call on your life to do what you did. Now, not all of us are going to be called to do what you did. But I think you would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you would say we're all called to do something to move towards a community and reconciliation. I blame Michael Card. <laughs> and it's, it really was in the context of our, our relationship that the question of how are we going to live the gospel out? How does the gospel not just be words, but how is it our deeds? And word and deed ministry was always Jesus' way. So if the gospel's sufficient— if, if, if believing that I'm a sinner saved by grace and trusting him is sufficient for all situations, mm-hmm. then there's a compelling side to, to almost every, every need that we see. Not everyone can move into a neighborhood. Not everyone can uh, abandon all things and move to the farthest ends of the earth. And even as we understand the letter of Hebrews and understand more and more about the different callings in life— the one that continues to ring is, how is the gospel driving what I'm doing? This is not a decision made historically. This is not a decision made culturally. You know, historical decisions become narrow. Cultural decisions become shallow. But when the gospel drives us, wherever we are in it, it's going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Both of you are very intentional about this, but in different ways, aren't you, mm-hmm. Mike? I mean, this is something that, uh, that you feel very deeply about as well. I don't know how intentional I am. I just think uh, it's a response to a call. I think if, if it was left to my intention, uh, we wouldn't, it, nothing yes. would be happening. And but, I know I know what you're saying. Well, I know yeah, intent. But, you mean we're doing it on purpose is what you mean. You have accepted the call 
if I can put it in those terms, and you're doing something about right. it. Right. I think yeah. you do You do move into it, and I think that's where Mike has been. And again, we always look at what we're doing, and it pales. We say, I need to do more. I need to do this. I find myself in a God in a place that God has put me. Right. I, I, I still think, with me, I can't give myself credit for intentionality, because I would, mm. if right. God didn't arrange it. Mm. That's right. I understand so this, what you're saying. If, if God hadn't arranged it, Scott Rowley was my best friend, okay? And then Scott is the one that sort of drives everybody everywhere and motivates everybody. I'm an idea person. I would love to just sit around and think ideas and then say, Scott, you should go do that. I've got a great idea. It's my intention yeah. for you. But so I don't, it's like, I don't want to take credit for it. But I think what we find is that God has placed us in a, in a position where the brothers that we're relating to are not like us. And and you know what? Some of the most dissimilar people in my life now are white guys. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. That's clearly in my life now, people who I I don't tolerate because I feel like they're not in the same process I'm in, which is just as foul. I could ask this question of you, Scott, but I'm going to ask it of Michael about you, okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You guys are best friends. How has Scott Rowley changed because of what he's doing? Well, let me tell you, the the core has not changed one bit from the first time I met Scott. Uh, We met, gee, 27 years ago or something like that. And and we were instant best friends. As it was an amazing thing. And and what, what God had done in Scott's life that made my heart resonate with him as, and, and become his friend, that has not changed one bit. But what has changed are just the channels. At one point, when, when I first met Scott, he was channeling that... Uh, sort of wordless thing that God was doing in his life into music. And he was very frustrated, as all of us are, as I still am, with the music world in terms of uh, you just feel like most people just don't get what I'm trying to do here. And Scott was very frustrated by that. And uh, But then we did that together as brothers for seven or eight years, and I think found a degree of yeah, this is what God wants us to do because we could we could have these kinds of discussions in front of people and write songs about these things. But I think it just came to a point where Scott was being pulled. Uh, yeah, yeah, it became it became very comfortable for us to theorize and see the reality of that, and then we we'll look when, at John Ver- Perkins' videos and right, talk about the ideas. Right, and I think one of us, and I do think we we're sitting here in in you know I hate to applaud Mike and make a big deal out of Mike, but we're sitting in a studio that the Lord has used that Mike built. We're mm-hmm. you know we're at stone's throw from uh, Molend, this remarkable publishing house, this house that moves things mm-hmm. because of what God's done. His home sits just an, a nine iron from here. Yeah, yeah. You know, a beautiful... Down I mean, in just, the holler, dude. He, <laughs> it, down in the holler. And, and, you know, from this position in Williamson County now comes, you know, my opportunity to do things that Mike can't do. I huh. can't do what Mike does. He can't do what I do. That's but right. together, that the lesson for that's all the whole us. point. We're in it together. We've got resource together. Here's the thing that we have to be intentional about, and that's the relationships that God's called us to love. He's, he's told us to love people. You can't get out of this world without loving people. So if someone is listening to this today and they say, well, that's that's wonderful. Boy, I applaud them. That. Great, great job, guys. <laughs> what our challenge to them is, you don't have to look very far. You'll no, find this in your own life. I think you turn around. You just say a prayer that's something like this. Lord Jesus, bring somebody into my life that I can love, that I would not normally choose to love. Yeah. Show me the gospel. Demonstrate the fact that Jesus came and loved people who he did not need to love. That's me. See, he came and loved his enemy, me. He turn around, and say, "Lord, show me," and I guarantee the Lord will show you somebody right within reach. I mean, you, it doesn't take much, and you will see someone, and you'll go, "Oh, this is it." And then just extend your hand and say, "Here's my name. You know, tell me who you are," and it, you, your life will never be the same. Yeah. Wayne, to respond to what you were saying, I think if if people listen to this program and just applaud Scott and Mike, we've failed yeah, miserably. I know that's what you feel. Yeah. Um, and God forgive us if, if we mm. presented it, you know, right. like that. This is a model, imperfect right. as it might be. It's right. a model for what could be done, and God will create opportunities right, That's right. right, right. where you live right now. And I think sometimes people who are experiencing hopelessness are, are, are having those feelings because they've cut themselves off from relationships that, that Christ orchestrates, the kind of relationships that Scott's talking about, that give us hope. We've had Denny Denson on this program, uh, who is who, who is one of my closest friends, and who, you know, we we realized four or five years into our relationship, 
we didn't like each other. Mm-hmm. There were things about each other that we just didn't like. But you just kind of brushed them under the rug? That was the temptation. That's that's what Mike would certainly have done because I've got people that I'm like who like me and who, who don't say hard things to me mm-hmm. like Denny is constantly doing. <laughs> but, you know, in the midst of all that, I mean, we just realized, God, you know, God has knit our hearts together. And it was Denny who extends to me when I'm when I'm the one who goes, okay, I'm out of here. This is too much. This is too hard. It's Denny who extends to me, and and you know what? He gives me hope. It's mm-hmm. great. He gives me hope that I can do that. I can be that and do that someday. And and uh, I've I mean, I've learned so many lessons from that brother, and and that's what we're that's the experience we're having uh, all the time. It's great. Yeah. Well, I wish we could go much longer on what has been, for me, a very stimulating discussion here about hope. And what was the title of the book, Scott, that you're working on? From Hard Bargain to Mount Hope. From Hard Bargain to Mount Hope. I know you have the scriptures open there. Let's uh, let's ask you to share that and then close in prayer for us. Today. Thank you, Wayne. This is Acts 4, starting with the 32nd verse. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. Father, I thank you for the beauty of the Scripture, for the beauty of who you are, Jesus. It changes us. It gives us hope. Mm. And that hope is eternal because it's in you. And I do thank you, Jesus, that you've given us needy persons, that you've given us the poor around us, not because of what we do for them, but what they do for us. Mm -hmm. I thank you for Mike and for Wayne and for this program. And I do pray that many people um, would ask you, Lord Jesus, as the hope of glory, as I'm united to you, what can I do today uh, to bring hope to others? And we pray this in your matchless name, Jesus, for your kingdom's sake. Amen. Amen. Scott, you've been a real challenge to us today. Thank you for living out your faith in your community. And Michael, thank you. We hope you've enjoyed sitting in with us in the studio with Michael Card for the study of God's Word, as well as getting to learn about the art and ministry today of Makoto Fujimura. If you'd like to find out more about this program and how you can obtain copies of music and books from Michael, including his latest CD and DVD release, Scribbling in the Sand, then go to www.michaelcard.com. Come explore that website. You'll be able to keep up with Michael's tour schedule and check out the unique Bible study tools we're developing. We're working on the site, and we hope you'll come by and see what's new at michaelcard.com. Well, don't forget to take a moment and give us your feedback about today's program. Leave your email messages at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Well, coming up on next week's session, we'll talk about the identity of Christ with Dr. George Grant. And Ken Cope helps us learn how we can better understand our spiritual gifts. Join us for an hour in the studio you won't want to miss. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris, and our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Carr. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of The Card Group and the Moody Broadcasting Network.